Welcome to another edition of the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean. I work for Hollywell Trust and we continue these conversations looking at the big issues facing Northern Ireland and coming up with a few recommendations or possible solutions. As always, I'm joined by Paul Gosling. Paul, how's the farm? It's great as ever, Gerard. Good man, good man. So last episode that we did, uh, we talked uh, with... Professor Fred Freundlich from Mondragon University, and, and in a bit of a paired conversation, if you like, Paul, you met with Neil McEnroy, who's from the Centre for Local Economic Strategies, talking about community wealth building. For those that aren't familiar with the term, what essentially is community wealth building? It's about how communities can sustain themselves, how they can generate new wealth, and how they can keep the wealth they do generate within their own communities. Uh, for a, quite a long period of time, uh, in particular in, in much of Britain, it's not something I think that's happened quite so much in the same way in Ireland. There's been conversations about how to develop local uh, self-sustaining economic initiatives to try and keep money within their communities. So you've had a lot of different schemes. And CLARES, uh, the Centre for Local Economic Strategies, has, has been looking how we can learn from that experience to try and do more things to help people create a more sustainable community and keep wealth within their communities. Yeah, and and Neil talks about five pillars to community wealth building, about who gets employed, financial institutions, ownership, land and property assets, and and who who gets the contracts at the end of the day. But he's going to talk about Preston, and I suppose the Preston model, as it's come to be known, is one of the more famous examples of community wealth building. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Preston's become quite famous for two reasons. One, that he is uh, the author of the Preston model of community wealth building. The other thing is that it's one of the, the cooperative councils. A number of councils across England have declared themselves to be cooperative organisations and don't see themselves simply as municipal bodies managing an area, but actually part of a community of cooperative economies. So actually they're looking at how they can get businesses to work with each other, consumers to work with each other, and to create new types of cooperative businesses that emerge and operate within the area. Because one of the key things is the, the idea that if you have big multinationals as retailers, in a city or a town, then actually they suck a lot of the wealth out of that community. So what can you do to support businesses being established locally that keep the money within the community? And what is the role of institutions in doing that? How do they cement a community together and keep the wealth within that community? Well, let's hear the chat that you had with me. I'm joined now by Neil McEnroy from the Centre for Local Economic Strategies, uh, better known as CLEs, in fact. Uh, Neil, thanks for doing this. Uh, Really, we want to talk today about what's being termed the the Preston model and what can be learned from that, but which, uh, I mean, you stress, is actually part of a broader movement of community wealth building. So so talk me through what uh, community wealth building and particularly Preston model, uh, what was the problem? Uh, what was it trying to deal with? Hello, delighted to be here, uh, Paul, and thanks, thanks for the invite. Uh, there's two main things here that's the problem. Uh, the first is a problem of wealth. The defining feature of all economies is um, wealth. Who has it? Where does it go? And do more people get their hands on it? And what we have seen in a world that we live in, where we have more wealth than ever, 
is that more and more people are suffering by not getting their hands on it and it going to the wrong places. So community wealth building is about making sure that flows of wealth truly, truly genuinely work for local people and communities. And then that, it goes back to the um, uh, traditions of what the economy is. It comes from the Greek word oikonomos, keeper of the household. The economy is a social construct. It's not a natural science. We can create an economy and we want. So community wealth bond says, let's create an economy where the wealth it creates, we create, is, is, is used for the benefit of all our people and all our communities and let it flow through our people and our communities. That's the first thing, problem of wealth. The second thing, it's a problem with what we've called regeneration or economic development. We know it, don't you? You dare know that, don't you? You know, have the regeneration schemes, promises of jobs, promises of inward investment, promises of this will, this will turn it round, this next bridge will sort the problem, this next thing will sort the problem, and it never ever does. So what you have is a policy problem of the economic development regeneration. Money is spent, but the money doesn't seem to land and truly systemically change the fortunes of our people. So community wealth bond says, if we're going to spend money, let's make sure it truly does work for our local people, our local communities, our local businesses. So two problems, problems of wealth, an age-old problem in the economy, and a problem of that regeneration economic development policy. And in a way, what you're talking about there is the fact that, for example, if you've got a big regeneration scheme in Derry, typically the winners of the contract will be a Belfast firm. So actually something that's intended to build wealth in the local community and in the short term has the impact of feeding money into other places. Well, community wealth, you're correct there, but the, the community wealth bonds about five different flows of wealth. Uh, one is uh, wealth that comes from um, uh, who gets employed. Yeah, so who workforce. Wealth in terms of financial institutions. So, you know, what do we do with our local government pension schemes? What do we do? What, where is the local bank investing? Uh, do we have a local architects that supports our communities and our people? Uh, the third area is around land and property assets, a massive source of wealth. Who has that? Where, is, where does the wealth go? Um, if, uh, you know, many of our cities you have um, uh, rapidly or did have rapidly land and property appreciation, value appreciation. Who gains the value? Is it people from Derry or is it people that shareholders in the Cayman Islands? That's the third thing, the whole bit about land and property assets. The fourth bit is about ownership. We do know that if you've got co-ops, mutuals, uh, different forms of organisational forms, then they're more likely to see wealth return to them than if it's a shareholder-driven company. So that's in the fourth bit. And the fifth bit is what you talked about there, Paul. It's about contract spend. You know, who gets those contracts? Is it a global corporate or is it a Northern Irish or Irish company that gets that contract for, say, a new bridge or a new harbour or whatever it may be? And I wouldn't go too much about Belfast or Coleraine or Derry. You know, they're not the, Ryan lads, they're not the thing we're attacking here. What we're attacking is the global corporates, you know, the shareholder-driven companies who extract the wealth very far away. You know, they're the ones that's the real issue here, rather than you know, getting petty fogging around, whether it's a company for Derry or a company for Straban or a company from Fermanagh or whatever. That's not a real issue. The real issue is what type of company is it and who actually benefits from that company? And that's where global corporate shareholding companies are the real problem here. And in a sense, uh, on the retail environment, the big issue is that people will typically spend a lot of their household earnings on 
uh, stuff from Tesco's and, and Sainsbury's uh, to Asda if they go for a drive. And in a sense, what you're talking about is the same thing that was being addressed 30 odd years ago in the Let's Movement, the local economic trading schemes, where they were trying to encourage people to spend money in locally owned independent retailers and keep the money within the community rather than for it to escape to, to London and to the shareholders who may be around the world. Yeah, there's no doubt about it that our economy generally has become um, uh, polarised, uh, but, it, but it, a concentration of, what is it, I think 8% of everything we spend within the United Kingdom, 8% of our whole income, is to one big supermarket. You know, to come very, very... Uh, uh, and of course, we know within the world that 10 of the richest men have the same amount of wealth as half the population of the world. And we know that in Great Britain, five of the richest families have the so United Kingdom, five of the richest families have the same amount of income as, as 14 million of UK residents. You know, so we have a huge polarization, a, a concentration of wealth. And community wealth building is not new. It does borrow from the provenance of the past, local exchange trading schemes, uh, local labor markets, a whole range of things that borrows from the past, but puts it all together. And that's the beauty of Peston model and other areas that do it. It puts it all together in one whole suite of activities across those five pillars, addressing where the money goes, addressing workforce, addressing land and property assets, looking to create more independent, socially owned businesses. All that suite together make, is looking to make the big systemic change. And as we have a phrase in Scotland, they might have there in Ireland, similar in Ireland, we say in Scotland, money a mickle, max a muckle. Many a small thing makes a lot. And that's what we're trying to do here. This is big ticket economic change by doing many small things of, of policy activity on the ground. And this is very interesting, Neil, because it shows that I misunderstood what the Preston model was about, because my understanding of the Preston model from what I'd read was it was about how to use state bodies more effectively in terms of integrating with the local community and ensuring that their spend maximizes the benefit for local people. But what you're talking about is, is vastly more than that. Yes, Paul, that's one of the no disrespect to you at all. I, mean, I think that's very, Preston models done very well. And it is, uh, you know, it has, like anything that goes well, it's open to lots of interpretations. The Preston model did start with the large public sector spend and how they, who contracts and services they bought and looking at the local economy. But it was always about other things. It's now looking at the Lancashire Pension Fund and how that could be used for local investments. They have a cooperative development process working with the University of Central Lancashire where they're developing cooperatives across the city to feed into the supply chain. They have a community energy scheme in terms of wind. They have plans for a community a bank, a Northwest Mutual Bank, so a community bank. Uh, they have um, uh, they own a local cinema development, so it's democratically owned. There's a range of things they're doing that's not just about the spending of those large public sector organizations it's about the wider economic ecosystem and how we democratize and socialize that ecosystem for the benefit of uh, the citizens and communities of Preston so it's it's all those five pillars rather than just the one around public sector spending if we talk for a moment about community banking is is it important to have community banking if you've got an effective credit union uh, sector 
or are you simply duplicating and removing assets from you know what we've got here which is a, a brilliant credit union movement oh, that's a really good point paul and i think this is where the bespoke nature of community wealth falls. and there's about three or four dozen areas that's doing it across the united kingdom and also, also the usa uh, and also scotland now has a program for in the program for government uh, targeted the community wealth fund. Also, there's plans that to happen in Northern Ireland, which I can explain. But what you're talking about is very important, is that it needs to be bespoke to the place and the context. And we often say in the areas we work, that if you have something like a strong credit union, then that does preclude, potentially preclude the need for a community bank. You need to build from what you've got. And that's the many a mickle max a muckle. Many a small thing makes a lot. Let's see what we've got. You probably, I know you've got fantastic stuff around this agenda across the whole of Derry. The message for me is, let's look at the great stuff and let's amplify and scale it. If you've got a good credit union, let's make sure it's got good business, land, business lending elements to that credit union. Let's look how the, uh, the local authority could have some promotion scheme with its staff to support salary, salary, uh, 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 put part of their salary through the credit union. Could we ask Could we ask business to actually think about how they might use the credit union? Let's see how we can scale that credit union up. So you're spot on. Let's not throw the baby at the bathwater. If you've got a good credit union, let's try and scale and amplify that thing up. But of course, you do hit your head on legal constraints, don't you? The credit unions are legally restrained in what they can do. For example, they, they've complained to me that they are unable to use their assets in ways that generate maximum income because the Bank of England requires them to put a large amount of money into government sanctioned bonds. And you've also got difficulties with the pension funds that will say they've got a fiduciary duty, as they would call it, to maximise returns and to limit their investment locally for social good. So how, how do you deal with those constraints? Well, but I don't know much about the, the former constraint, but the latter I know a bit more about. But I, won't, I don't want to get into specifics here about the constraints because I think, you know, some, some I, we found in our work, right, that there is genuine legal constraints, yeah? And so those constraints um, need to be lifted if they can be. And that requires a national or even in some cases international legal process to try and change that legal constraint. And, and in, in countries like Scotland, of course, where community wealth forms taken forward, there is consideration of what they can legally do to change certain aspects to allow community wealth forms to grow. So that's, a, that's, one, that's one avenue. But of course, in our experience, some of these so-called constraints are not legal. They're more practice and cultural. You know, there's nothing to stop a pension, a local government pension scheme to say there's a suboptimal option for a very small portion of our funds that is not the eight or nine percent you'd expect from investing in Dubai fags or nuclear warheads. We could perhaps get three percent to invest in a housing development in Derry. It's only 0.1 percent of our pension pot. We're still getting return. We're still being fiduciary responsible. Let's go for that. I think there is a risk-averse culture and there's a lack of imagination culture that's more of the barrier rather than any, it's more of the issue than big legal constraints to advance community wealth building. In all the areas we work, um, we do come across legal barriers, but ultimately there's vast much more things we can get, be going, get going with within the parameters of existing legal frameworks. 
Okay, so let's make this a bit more exciting. Talk to me, Neil, about some of the projects that you've been involved with that have actually achieved some uh, good outcomes. Well, starting with Preston, I suppose, to begin with, uh, and they, um, obviously, when they embarked on this journey in 2012, um, they started, we started with a look at the totality of six large public sector anchor organisations in Preston, and they spent collectively around £800 million. And in that, we found that um, 18% of that money went to Preston, uh, and I think 39% went to the wider Lancashire, so the money they spent. With lots of work over three or four years, it's now up to, it went up to 39% for the wider, for Preston, and about 80% for the wider Lancashire. That's, that's around £200 million brought back to the Lancashire economy, £70 million brought back to the Preston economy, probably around uh, 2,000 jobs. Uh, also, because of the stip stipulate changes in the stipulation of the uh, contracts, it, it increased our uh, real living wage up to 4,000. Uh, 4,000 people received the real living wage. So that's a demonstrable impact as regarding the um, uh, procurement spend. Um, in terms of um, the other elements of the pillars, um, we're seeing now a huge growth in cooperatives and across a number of localities we are working. Uh, including within Wigan, there is now a, a, a platform co-op to do with social care. And so it's taken some of the social care, the more extractive elements of social care organisations in the private sector and brought it back to social enterprise to deliver more social care and more worker-owned elements of the domiciliary care uh, um, uh, service. There is um, significant uh, uh, municipal energy approaches taking place now uh, across a number of localities where you're seeing community energy companies, including in the Western Isles, where we where community wealth bottom is starting to lodge. 70% uh, of the Western Isles is owned, it's community owned, and you've got huge community owned trusts who produce uh, quite a significant amount of uh, community energy, com own community energy companies that produce quite a significant amount of, not just energy for the grid, but, but accrue dividends for the community in that. So, I mean, I can go on, but on our website, there's a number of stuff that talks through all the different uh, um, benefits that come from community wealth building. Uh, perhaps here, Neil, I should just declare a couple of personal interests. <laughs> uh, I've got a £500 investment in a community energy scheme in Northern Ireland, oh, well. uh, which is doing good things, uh, I would say, as well as producing uh, quite good dividends. Um, and, and also, I spent eight years as an advisor to, to cooperative businesses. So uh, I've, yeah. I've got a background in the sector. So what would you say are the lessons from this and how transferable are those lessons to Derry? I think the lessons are, and it's linked to your last point, Paul, is that these things have always been around. But arguably, what the problem we've had, and people like you and me, um, we've been fighting some of these fights for a while, the issue is that they've been very marginal because they've not touched the mainstream economic development. So mainstream economic development is inward investment and so forth. It's not these community ownership, the let schemes, these sorts of things. And um, they've always been a marginal sport. I spent most of my career of them being the marginal sport. 
I think what the lesson is that if you wrap that around a bigger mission around community wealth building and you've got touch points across those five pillars, that community energy scheme is part of a wider plural and democratic ownership of the economy model and pillar, which is then taken much seriously through mainstream resources and mainstream policy support to amplify and do it at scale. So the lesson here is that, that um, it's almost a lesson in mindset. I think people like you and me, Paul, I, I think are people that's done a lot of good, hopefully done a lot of good stuff, perhaps in the margins at times of the mainstream economic development. And we've got to get over ourselves and actually think that this is the new mainstream and community wealth building is part of the kind of escalator, if you like, to make it that new mainstream. And of course, the testament to that, of course, is that the Scottish government has community wealth building and wrapped into its economic development approach as a nation as does some other localities, of course, you know, London Borough Newham, London Borough Islington, Preston, of course, Birmingham. These places have community wealth built, not as like the community development side of things, but they actually see it as this is what, this is how we do economic development moving forward. And we're not, I'm talking of a bit, we've got a lot of work to do, you know, but clearly, given the, you know, the excitement and interest around some things around community wealth building. The biggest lesson is we're on to something, we need to keep going and we need to be ambitious for it and see it as the new mainstream of how we get an economy that truly works for us and our communities and the planet, of course. I, I'm very pleased that you mentioned about uh, social care cooperatives because that's always seemed to me to be one of the sectors along with childcare, which should be most appropriate for uh, the development of cooperative businesses, yet much of social care was taken over, controlled by the private equity sector, with the result that you had higher prices, and because they cut salaries, then you had a higher turnover of staff, with leading to lower quality care for, for people who are in residential care, for example. And also that's true of dom dom domiciliary care as well. So there are clear examples that, that would, would apply well in Derry, I think. Yeah, I forgot to answer your second part of the question. I think that's right. I mean, I think also knowing Derry a bit, there's a strong tradition of social enterprise, community enterprise, uh, strong communities, um, uh, people who have relate to place. And I think that relationship to place is important here. Um, and the heritage and your desire to see an economy that works for the people of Derry. I mean, you're not, you're not, you've not got the problems or issues that say the London Borough Islington has in terms of huge levels of property speculation and so forth. And you are a close-knit community, close-knit communities. I think that all lends itself to to great to do to uh, build community wealth building in Derry. And of course, what what my organisation part does at Claire's is that we would we do sort of diagnostics or we analyze where a place is, and then from there, see what you would push on. Of the five pillars, it may be that you do really well on the community ownership question, but do less well on the procurement public spend question. Um, and so that would be the place you would push. Um, I mean, the, the, one, of the, one, of the key less, one of the key points here, I think, is that, you know, each place is a different, each place is a different stage of the journey, you know, and, and, and you, like me, probably visited many places, and some places have been ravaged by the forces of fossil fuel capitalism, and we know where those places are, how much exploited and how damaged they are, and some places are 
less damaged. And in, in, that, in that, there is a need to um, correct that market society. I mean, that, that's it. Our whole society has been driven by a market that doesn't tend to work just for us. And so we say, let's localise, socialise and democratise the economy. And many areas have a more of a pre-existing basis for which they can localise, socialise the democracy. And sorry, localise, socialise and democratise the economy. And I think Derry is one of those places. I think there is a localisation already. I think there is a social frame of thinking in mind. And there is high levels of participative and representative democracy. I think that's all good and good, good um, uh, shoulder to the wheel in advancing and scaling up some of that stuff. But we can't ignore what are really one of the most challenging problems at the moment, which is the, the collapse of retail, the collapse of the traditional city centre of Derry and what that's doing and the dominance within the retail environment of a couple of very large international businesses. So, you know, we do have a, a scheme locally to encourage support for local independent retailers, but a lot of those retailers are, are on their knees. A lot of them will not survive the COVID pandemic. I mean, do you have a, a lesson for how practically this might be resolved? I mean, one of the, you're, you're right, and we can, you know, without knowing the specific, but what does interest me is the, one, is the extent to which we can democratise elements of the high, the high street, the town centre at this time. So what flexibility is there for local authorities and other public bodies to start to own some of the land and property in our city centres? And that's happening across um, many, many parts of the world at the moment as prices decline, there is gaps, then we're thinking, well, hold on here. Let's think about other forms of uses that may not just be retail and think about ownership. So we're bringing it back into like some form of democratic control. So that, that's one, um, I think, thing to think about. Not just thinking we can get back to normal, build back better actually means just building back a little bit like it was before. We've got an opportunity here as prices to collapse to actually take advantage of that and start to reshape our town centres in a way that's much more socially, ecologically virtuous. The second thing is that like, I understand that issue with independence and smaller retailers. And I think part of the problem is economies of scale and heft. That's why I'm interested in umbrellas and, co and platform cooperatives and platform organisations. So imagine if there is the Independent Retailers Association of Derry, how does it muscle itself up to provide some of the core HR functions, uh, some of the other more generic functions that a large corporation would have, like an HR department, that service all those different independents to take some of the labour and the arduous nature of being a small independent away from them. And I think that could be set up as a cooperative, perhaps with all the different independents owners of that. It could have a part share in that co-op from the local state or some other anchor organisation, be it the health board or the university or whatever. So I just think we need to be imaginative about how do we give how do we support the small woman and man who wants to do something in the economy to actually scale up and have a going, have a going concern? I think for too long, the, the myth has been, oh yeah, but the Tesco's, the Tesco's of this world have competed and they've done very well. Well, they've had lots of hands up as well over the years in terms of tax breaks and inward investment assessments. And many, many town centres have provided quite significant public money, put sweeteners in for large retailers to enter their place 
Yeah? There's been sweeteners there. Uh, job schemes, workforce schemes, all played out the public purse. Seems to me we need to give, uh, not fall down the trap of thinking the free market will do it. The free market's a myth. There's always elements of state support in that. And I think we need to be imaginative how that state support needs to reshape itself to support the plurality potential of independent retail. Let's, let's just stick a word of explanation in there, Neil, for, for people who are listening who perhaps haven't come across the phrase platform cooperatives before. What we're talking about here is maybe five people who are all uh, working in the craft sector who come together to jointly market themselves, to, to share premises perhaps, and to uh, jointly share the administration so they're more effective at lower costs. And in fact, we've got people that are, operate a craft a cooperative in Derry doing much that. And similarly, I think what you're saying is that you could have five people that are running uh, retail enterprises, each of them without staff, just running their own businesses that could come together to jointly market and jointly administer their businesses, cut costs and improve their outcomes, which is it's, it's a model that's being used in a number of places. And actually, traditionally, it's what farming businesses often did, where you had farming cooperatives doing much the same thing that jointly marketed, jointly sold and got better prices and lower costs as a result of that. Oh, absolutely well explained, Paul. I completely agree. The one other thing I would say about town centres is that um, we, we, we obviously, because of the pandemic, it's, some things have changed forever. So retail will never be at the same scale that it was. Um, so the, our town centres will not be placed, will not, by, very, by the very nature of that, will not be places of, this, will never get to the same level of consumption in forms of retail that it ever was before. So that means people want to do different things in that town centre, and that might be a hangout, you know, it might be different forms of um, uses, community uses, other social functions and so forth. And I think that's really important to consider when we're, when we're thinking about um, wealth in its broadest sense. How do we value our town centres in different ways? And what we see as a productive use of our town centres, you know, rewilding, uh, social use, these are all productive uses, but not in the formal, traditional economic GDP terms. And I think we need to start thinking about that. I mean, you've got a beautiful town centre in, in Derry, and um, um, you know, I mean, it's quite, quite vibrant, I think, in terms of the independence. And you've got the, but you do have the Foyle Shopping Centre. Which I think the Foyle Shopping Centre is that not owned by the council. No, Foyle Side is 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 owned oh. by. Uh, uh, a private developer, in fact, and we also have the Richmond Centre, which is really going to struggle, I think, uh -huh. in, in the next period. But I mean, you're quite right. There is a very active conversation taking place about at the moment about how to reshape the city centre. But as someone who has worked over here without uh, obviously divulging anything which is confidential, I mean, what what is your 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 word? And this is really our way of winding up this conversation. What is your word about what Derry specifically uh, can be doing for the next period and, and your assessment of its uh, opportunities? I think it's understanding, uh, like the diagnostic thing I think I mentioned earlier, it's understanding across the five pillars of community wealth building where it is truly singing, you know, in terms of where is its progressive finance work, where is its progressive workforce work, where is its progressive procurement work. Let's see what's really, find out what's really, really good. And then, and I also thought it was really bad, and then amplify as much as you can of the really, really good stuff. I think that's my lesson. There'll be great stuff happening anyway. 
look at that great stuff and say, how would I replicate that? How would I do more and more of that sort of thing that work really, really well? And don't be swayed by your big ticket, big inward investment, big boom goggling dreams that, you know, Derry Airport, you know, we need to prop Derry Airport because the future will be Derry Airport linked to the northwest of the, 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 to the island of Ireland, Ireland. Let's get serious. Derry Airport has no future, probably. It has less of a future than it did. You know, I think we need to get serious about exactly the trajectory of the economy where it's going and not dream of futures that are not that are just not going to happen and, and you know the airports is one of them uh, just as a, a final point related to that i mean what i often think is that if you go back many years when you had the decline of traditional industry in many parts of england and we've had similar declines of traditional industry in Derry, where you've had the collapse of the shirt making industry um these it's often been that policymakers have looked for big bang solutions, yeah, whereas right. actually the, the reshape of the economy means that you're looking for lots of small scale solutions rather than one big scale solution. You're not looking for one big employer to replace one big employer. You're looking for something that is much more ground up and uh, comprehensive. Absolutely. I mean, without, in, in one of, one of the, in a part of the United Kingdom, we did some work recently that looked at the repurposing of um, a, a, a large bit of public spending to indigenous um, companies and organisations within that jurisdiction. And we found that if it was done, if it was done to 40% to of the resources were re brought back to that jurisdiction, it was worth something like 40,000 jobs. Yeah, of that public sector spend back to local businesses. Now that was that was hundreds, if not thousands, of small contracts being let to that particular area's enterprises. But if you think about that, we would spend so much effort on getting two factories in, you know, and that's more than that. So I think many a many a small thing does add up to a lot. And I think that's what you say, Paul, is very eloquently put. The point you made that look. We should stop with thinking about these big ticket. The solutions actually there right in front of us. It's just smaller. We just need many, many small instances to build up to that big weight. Thank you, Neil. That's a very enjoyable conversation. Much appreciated. Thank you. And you take care. Bye-bye now. Okay, Neil McEnroy there, having a, a chat with yourself, Paul. Um, so community wealth building, Neil makes a really strong point saying this just needs to be how we do economic development. We have to move away from big ticket approaches saying, you know, build the road, it will come, build the industrial estate, it'll come. This is about small scale, loads of small initiatives that are really going to change local economies. Yeah, it's it's about empowering people, uh, encouraging them to believe that they can do things for themselves and the actions that they take actually have an effect, make a difference. And, and we all know that we can choose to shop locally. We can support local businesses. It is a choice. Mm. And because that's what Neil talks about. He talks about democratizing and socializing the economy. I, I, I really like the sound of that. And, and, like and, this, and examples, of course, in this, Gerard, is the, the history of credit unions. Mm. That is where, I, mean, I said earlier, 
that there isn't the same example in Ireland of the local economy initiatives to try and keep people spending in the area. But what we have got is the history of helping people to, to save locally, to avoid the trap of the money lenders. Uh, and the credit union example, you know, there is a, a head of the world, really. Yeah. And, and that's what Neil said. He says, build on the areas where you're singing and, and other areas will come along. Build on the pillar where you're strong. And, but he knows, he knows the city quite well. And I suppose we have to nearly apologise for people that are listening outside the Northwest. We're based here, natural inclination as they talk about here. And Neil knows here quite well. And because we're based here, he talked about it. But um, he does say... We need to think about our local economy, as does everywhere now, particularly given the pandemic, particularly given the impact that it's going to have on the city centre, on retail business and things like that. It's about reimagining this place. Absolutely. We, we have to, We, have, I mean, to be blunt about it, and this is more true of Derry than it is of Belfast, we have to consider what the future of our city centre is, because a lot of the businesses have gone broke. A lot of the businesses will barely survive out of the pandemic. And if you have, we had this in the past where we had lots of charity shops where the traditional retailers had left, locally owned businesses had gone, the independents were, were driven out by the bigger companies. And we do have to think about what we expect our city centre to look like and how we can support it to not necessarily survive as it has been to be, but to rebirth what it's going to be in the future. Yeah. What would you like to see, Paul? It's like I have my own ideas. What do you think yourself? Um, I was very struck when I was in Armagh a few years ago with the quality of the independent retailers there. And I think that independent retail is certainly important. I think we need to pedestrianise much more of the city. I think we need to find ways of connecting the city. It's felt to me for years that the Strand Road of the city and the uh, the Carlisle Road of the city, they, they feel almost like different places. They don't feel fully connected. So I think we actually need to have urban planners think more about how we make it more attractive as a city, but also how we weld it together. So so what's your ideas, Gerard? I did two dead simple things. I would love it to be a place of loving and learning. So, for example, I'd love to see the Richmond Centre turned into the, the university that we're all talking about. Uh, let's place it at the heart of the city and say this is learning is what this place is about, but also a place where we live. And this reflects on other podcasts that we've had, but it's a place where we choose to live together. So it's that shared community and intentional community where people say, I'm going to live with people who are different from me. And then that makes it a safer place as well. Absolutely. And I, I find that one of the disappointing things about Derry, that we're not doing the same as Belfast, where Belfast is actively promoting more people to live in the city centre. And mm -hmm. I don't see that same scale of ambition in terms of promoting that uh, within Derry. There are recognised, of course, that the Inner City Trust does have ideas, yeah. but we don't seem to have the same municipal drive in Derry towards bringing back people to live in the city centre, as you see uh, you know, Belfast. Yeah, it needs life beyond five o'clock, basically. <laughs> I think that'll be a major way of doing it. So, so, Paul, thanks for taking the time to meet with Neil, and thanks, of course, to Neil for taking the time and sharing his thoughts with us. Really interesting conversation, and I think the paired conversation with the Mondragon in the last episode as well gives us loads of food for thought about how we change this place from the ground up, essentially, the, the economy. So, thanks again, 
Thanks to uh, Michael Barwise for pulling together the edit of our podcast and thanks to the Community Relations Council for funding it. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.